seriously, I'm telling you. Good grief. This is like, what the what? Ooh. Uh-uh. No. Uh-uh. Okay. Wowza, yowza. Y'all, thanks for being here. I know some of you are here for the first time, and I got a chance to meet a few of you. Okay, I feel for whoever sits up here, but wow. We are thrilled that you're here, and this is our last one, the last one for the semester, and then we will break, and we'll meet again in September, and we'll do an eight, seven or eight-week run in September. But I am thrilled that you guys are here. How many of us, well, all of us are celebrating Mother's Day in some form because everybody has a mom. How many of you are celebrating because you are a mother, whether you're biologically or a, however you're a mom? You may be a owner of pets and you're a mom in my book. All right, well, let me just, have any of you been courageous enough in this journey of your motherhood to say, what I really want for Mother's Day is a, just a day off. I want you to take the children and go away for a little bit. Yeah. I have not been courageous enough to say that yet, but one day I'll say it and my husband, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, you hear those moms are like, I just want to cuddle with my kids on Mother's Day. I'm like, that's a normal Saturday. That's about 3 a.m. in the morning when they get too cold or they can't sleep. And anyway, whatever. Do I sound like Bitter Betty a little bit? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Hey. Anyway, I hope all of you have a great Mother's Day. But I do want to say one quick thing on a more serious note. I, love, I do love Mother's Day, but for some of us in the room, Mother's Day can be painful because you had a difficult relationship with your mom, or your mom's not living anymore, or for whatever reason, it may bring up some teary moments for you, and so I just want you to know I'm going to be praying for you on Sunday and throughout the weekend because I, I do think sometimes these forced holidays like Valentine's Day and Mother's Day and Father's Day, while it's great to be appreciated, sometimes they can have an alternative effect. And they can bring, bring some pain up. And so I just want you to know that that's not lost on me. And I will be praying for you. And you pray for me as I'm fixing breakfast on Mother's <laughs> Day. Because Jason's up at the crack of dawn leading worship at church somewhere. Praise the Lord. Let's, that's great. And that, it's a good, isn't it cute, good that he's cute, though? It, uh, it helps. It helps a lot. No, I'm kidding, honey. This is what you get for showing up. He just texted me like 10, 15 minutes ago and said, I think I'm going to run by. And I was like, oh, man, okay. All right, here we go. Let me pray for us, and we're going to jump into today's lesson. Father, we do love you, and I thank you for moms. I thank you for women and the, the nurturing heart that you've developed in us, Lord. You've wired us to be lovers and nurturers and caregivers and caretakers. And at the same time, you've, you've wired in us to be so strong and courageous. You've wired us to be leaders in our home and in our communities. And so I pray today as we watch and we walk through Mary and Martha one more time, Lord, would you just speak powerfully to us? Spirit, I pray that you are welcome in this place. I pray that you come powerfully. Lord, I pray that we would leave today just with a, um, a sense of conviction, of challenge, and encouragement, Lord. Um, you are a God that loves us, and I pray that we would experience that today in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're here for the first time, let me catch you up. We are in the middle of a four-week study on Jesus and women. And we're looking at the way Jesus interacted with women, in particular, not necessarily to highlight who the women were, but really more to highlight who he was and how he interacted with people that were marginalized, 
that were laid on the sidelines, that were treated no better than slaves. Jesus came and turned culture on its head. There are two seats, three seats, two seats up here, girls, if y'all want to come up. Glad y'all are here today. Um, anyway, and so as we look at Jesus and women, really the hero of the story is always Jesus. It's always the Lord, whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Um, John Eldridge says we study Scripture to, to gain more information and, and, um, for hero worship. And so my prayer for you and for me, anytime we do a study like this, is that we leave more in love with the Lord or maybe in love with Him for the first time than we did when we came. Because as Dwight has said, and I've repeated a hundred times, our obedience will not sustain our faith. It is our love for the Lord that will sustain our faith. And we are going to look at that very closely today. If you were here the very first week, if you weren't, you can always podcast these messages. Um, the first week we looked at Mary and Martha. They were sisters. Jesus was welcomed into their home. I think Martha owned the home. Uh, Mary and Lazarus lived there. They were her siblings. And she welcomed Jesus into her home. And as she did, he came down with his disciples and sat down and began to teach. And as he did, Mary sat at his feet to teach, which was the first thing that we noticed about Jesus is he welcomed her as a disciple also. Because only men were disciples and only men were allowed to be taught directly by the rabbi. And she and Jesus allowed Mary to sit right at his feet. Not only did he do that, but Martha got naturally distracted in the kitchen because she's trying to cook for Jesus and do her very best for him. She's serving him and we talked about how we easily get distracted by children, family members, PTO, uh, community service, whatever it is that, that distracts us. But it prevents us from sitting at his feet. And I read a quote that I, I love, but it said, I'll paraphrase it. Ken Geyer said, what was happening in the kitchen was going to be finished in one meal. But was but was happening in the other room where Jesus was teaching was going to last for eternity. And Jesus clearly said to Mary, as Martha complained, why isn't she helping me? Jesus looked at her and said, Mary's chosen the necessary thing. The necessary thing, not just the good girl thing, but she's chosen the necessary thing, which is to connect with Jesus on a relational level. Connect with Him relationally. Don't just learn more about Him, but have your heart connect with Him. So we started with Mary and Martha, and we're going to end with Mary and Martha. So we're bookending them in this series, and we're going to look at, as we see them in the first uh, the first lesson, as they're just learning about Jesus, they're growing closer to Jesus, Mar uh, Mary especially, we're going to see how they interact with Jesus in a crisis. So we're going to watch and see what happens and how Jesus interacts with them in a crisis. So we are going to jump in. We are in John, I think we're in John or Luke today, chapter 11, starting in verse 1. This story's in the Gospels. We're going to look and it says, we're going to look at her brother, Mary, and Martha's brother, Lazarus, is ill. So it says, Now a certain man was ill, <clears throat> excuse me, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now it was Mary who had anointed the uh, Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Let me give you a little backdrop. Jesus is teaching in a different home, and Mary comes in, and Mary cracks open this little vase of oil. It's just a little vial. It's not very big. But it was worth a year's worth of wages. So it was incredibly expensive. Now, in Scripture, you'll see this story twice. 
And one story depicts Mary Magdalene, and one depicts Mary, the brother of Lazarus. And so it gets a little confusing. You're like, well, which Mary are we talking about? Well, today we're talking about Lazarus' sister Mary. Now, when she cracks that oil and she pours it on his feet and on his head, she begins to wipe it off with her hair. Now, this ointment was good for embalming. And so by doing so, we learn that Mary is already in tune to what's going to happen to Jesus. She's already clued in. The disciples who have been with him throughout his entire ministry are clueless. They don't really get it, although Jesus has been saying to them, I'm going to the cross, I'm going, I'm going to die on your behalf, I'm going to save you from your sins. They're not getting it. Mary and Mary Magdalene and a lot of other women are really spiritually in tune. And I, I have found that to be true, and I'm not, I don't want to just give a blanket statement, but I do think we are really wired spiritually. I think women are really in tune spiritually. We just are. I think we have, we have a felt need that we're quickly attuned to, and I think more quickly than men are. It's not that men don't have the need. It's just that we are quickly attuned to it. And so she's embalming his feet. The disciples are like, A, why are you wasting all that? You could have fed the poor. And B, um, why are you in here? You just barge into our meal. And Jesus, again, attributes dignity to Mary. And he tells them she's really got it going on. She understands what's happening. So this is the Mary that we're talking about. And her brother, Lazarus, is ill. So the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said this. He said, this illness doesn't lead to death. Because it's the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now let's look and see what's just happened. Picture yourself in the scene. Some tragedy has come into your life. You have a loved one, a child that is in need, a loved one is sick, a crisis, the phone call has just come, um, the report has just come through. I don't know what it is, but crisis has hit your life. And you probably do what I do, and you go, Lord, help. Save now. God, fix this immediately. I pray very, very quickly, but I pray about what I'm seeing in the natural realm. And what I'm seeing is what's bothering me. What I'm seeing is what's causing me to be incredibly anxious. My child has gone wayward. My child is sick. My loved one is sick. Uh, my husband just lost his job. Or fine, whatever it is in your life that causes you to go, <gasps> typically that's what you wake up and you start praying about first. And that's exactly what they've done. And there's nothing wrong with that. So that's what they've done. They said, Lord. The man, the one whom you love is ill. Come now. And Jesus says to them, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So what Jesus has just done is he's given them the bigger picture. He's clued them in and he said, This illness isn't going to end in death. Now, I would love that. Every time I shoot up a, a crisis prayer, I would love an immediate response that would tell me something that would cause me to take a deep breath. Would you not love that? Because if I were Mary and Martha, I'd go, whew, okay, thanks. Let's go, let's go back to eat. Let's chill out. We can relax now because it's not going to lead to death. But you'll see that that's not their response. And what's interesting is it's not typically my response. You see, God has given us lots of promises in Scripture. He may not come down and speak to you audibly face to face in the flesh because he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But he, we've got the Word of God in written form that they didn't have. And there's tons of promises. One that I cling to is Jeremiah 29, 11, that says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're not to harm you. They're not plans to harm you. 
They're good plans. They're to give you a hope and a future. And so when things come into my life that seem difficult and that seem contrary to what I think God's character should do on my behalf, I have to go back and go, okay, what I'm seeing is difficult, but what I'm clinging to is the truth. Romans 8, 828, all things work together for good according to God, according to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And, and I'm paraphrasing that passage again, but what he's saying is that, listen, what you see in the natural is temporary, but I am working it together. And one day you're going to see all truth and it's going to be all made clear to you. And you're going to know how trustworthy I actually am and was in the middle of your crisis. And that's what he's trying to say to them. Listen, this isn't going to end in death, but I'm going to be glorified through it. I've got a bigger purpose. If you were here through the Joseph series, you remember I said several times there's always two stories at play. There's the natural, what I see in my natural life, what I see being played out. And then there's the spiritual realm. What God is doing behind the scenes, which is always the more exciting and the bigger picture and the one to cling to and the one that gives me hope because that one's going to end beautifully. Now listen, my, my physical life may be cut short. I may not get to outlive the things I want. I may not get, I don't know. I don't know what's happening tomorrow, but what I do know is that spiritually I'm going to be with him and spiritually he's going to work it all out. And so that keeps me from anxiety. It keeps me from the heart palpitations when I see my children growing up too fast and go, Lord, I, I can't even imagine if I don't get to see Beth get married. I can't even imagine if something happened to my children. You know, we live in a battlefield, right? We live in a really hard world. And God says you're going to have a lot of trouble in this world. It's hard. You're on the front lines of battle. And so I've not promised you that it's going to be easy. I've not promised you that physical ailments aren't going to come your way. I've not promised that you're not going to be a casualty in some things. But what I have promised is that I've won the war. And part of that victory means you're going to be with me forever. And it will all make sense. And so God is saying, this isn't going to end in death. Now, He's speaking physically to them. This physically isn't going to end in death. He's giving them a physical promise they can cling to immediately in the natural realm. But they still don't get it because they're freaked out by what's happening. Verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, I think that's important because, again, Martha is, we're going to see Martha in a light that we can learn from. I'll say it like that. But I think it's important because Jesus doesn't have favorites. And so you may be frustrated with yourself and you think, man, why did I get that wrong again? Or I wish I could just be more like Mary. Why can't I just sit down at his feet? I'm constantly distracted. Scripture over and over says, now Jesus loved Martha and Jesus loved Mary and Jesus loved Lazarus. He loves you right where you are and by his grace, he's not going to leave you there. He's going to move you forward if you'll just trust Him. So 6, it says, So when, the, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, watch what Jesus does. He stayed two days longer in the place where He was. Isn't that a joy? He stayed two days longer in the place where He was. Now, what do you think the tone was like when they approached Him and said, The one whom you love is ill? What do you think it was like? I think there was an urgent tone. I don't think it was like, hey, by the way, that guy you love, Lazarus, he's not feeling good. Listen, you take your time. You take your time. No, I think it was like, the one you love is ill. Come quickly. Come on. 
hurry up. And so in their mind, they're thinking, that means stop everything that you're doing and attend to me. And so the expectation there is that you'll stop and you'll come quickly. And Jesus hears them. He understands fully what the situation is. No situation in your life is a surprise to him. He's never caught off guard. He's never like, oh, wow, I didn't know. Okay, I didn't know he was that sick. Had you told me it was that ill, okay, it's not, that's not the case with him. So intentionally, he stays two days longer in the place where he was. I've said this before too. Jesus is always too early or he's too late for me. He's always either too early or too late. He's never on time. In fact, it's never like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to take that leap of faith. I'm ready. I feel totally ready. No, it's always going to be scary. When he's asking you to step out in faith, it'll always feel too soon. When you're begging for him to do something in your life, when you've got a hope that's been deferred, Scripture says a hope deferred makes the heart sick. When your heart is sick because you've been praying for something, when you've been asking God for something, and one more day passes, you think he's too late. He's too late. But God is always on time. He's sovereign and he's always on time. So he stays two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, okay, let's go to Judea again. So he's moving toward Lazarus. The disciples, they don't really understand what's happening. And they say, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you there. Why are you going to go again? Jesus answers, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. This is Jesus cluing the disciples in. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples respond in the natural. They say, Lord, well, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking a rest and sleep. Of course they did, because rarely are we tapped into the spiritual. Rarely do we have those lenses on where we go, wait, 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 wait. What are you really trying to say in this situation, Lord? What do you want me to know? That's a great way to start your prayer. Lord, what is it you want me to know about this? What is it you want me to know about you? What is it you want me to know about me? They don't ask that. They're in the natural. They're what's right in front of their face. They're like, well, okay, if he's asleep, then he'll wake up. And then Jesus makes it a little bit more clear, and he says plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Do you get that? For your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Why? Because I want you to believe. God is always moving on your behalf to draw your faith into Him. He's always growing your faith. He's always allowing things to come through His hands into your life to strengthen your faith. He is blessing you to strengthen your faith. He's always moving on your behalf, and it always brings Him the greatest glory. Because His glory is your best interest. Now, I think my best interest is what I can see right here and now. I want you to fix it immediately, Lord, so that I don't have to feel anxious and they feel better. And then we all feel better. And the Lord is saying there's a bigger picture at play. So the picture doesn't just involve Lazarus and his immediate family. Jesus is saying the picture also involves you. So your life, you think it's just you, the Lord, and your little immediate realm. But let me tell you, you have a ripple effect in your world. You are leaving a legacy whether you realize it or not. And it is a spiritual one. You are leaving a spiritual legacy whether you realize it or not. And so 
When God is at work on your behalf, whether it be hard, unpleasant, great, good, whatever, others are watching. It is incredible in my life. We were, Jason and I have lived in Friendswood for 12 years. We left a church about, I guess it was four years ago. And when we left, it was a painful departure. And a lot of people were really sad. And a lot of people left. And it was just hard church ministry stuff. And I'm telling you, Jason and I clung to the Lord as closely as we knew how. And we walked with the Lord and we kept our mouths shut. And I'm telling you, four or five years later, I still have people that will say, I watched you walk through that, and because of that, I'm coming to church now. Or I watched, you, I watched the way you handled that, and I've grown in my faith. Never in a hundred million years did I really equate that people would be watching. But the same is true in your life. It's always true. The way you're interacting, y'all, we are playing. My son Ben is on a, team, a, a little league baseball team right now. And you cannot even imagine how nut jobs some of these dads are. You can. Some of you are married to them. Y'all, I am telling you, it is insane. And so, Jason and I, Ben starting out, and Ben is like, uh, he's just more of a cautious kid. And so he took a whole year off from baseball. Well, these kids have had private coaches. They're all into it. So we start the league up, and they're like, bam, bam, hitting the ball. And Ben's like, strike, strike, air, hitting the ball. And so he's panicked, and he doesn't want to start the season. And Jason, in his wisdom, was like, okay, what if we do this? And we're working with him, and we're like, let's pray about this. And we, we're in that tension of, okay, you started something. You need to stay committed. Or we hear you. We love you. We're pulling you. And so I'm on the fence. I'm like, pulling, pulling, pulling. And Jason's not. And so we pray through this with Ben. And we said, let's play through the first weekend. Well, God, it was sweet and tender to Ben and let him get a little pot fly and get on base. And I'm telling you, he's done really well this season. But what's interesting about it is that we have taken this spiritually in a serious way. It's, t it's Little League. Who prays about Little League? We do. We're praying about Little League. But, we're on, but by doing so, I feel like the Lord has clued us in. There is a bigger picture. You're going to interact with families that you normally wouldn't cross paths with. And, and they're watching you. Because when you walk up, they go, oh, here come the pastors. So it starts that way. And then by the end of the season, we are great friends. We love these people. We love these coaches. Jason sent them an email encouraging them because we played this team with this nut job dad that was yelling this kid. I'm way off on a tangent. But this kid gets hit in the ball, hit by the ball on the mound. He falls down, not our player, another the team we're opposing. Our runner's just circling the bases. And the coach, and this kid's hurt. Coach is going, get up and throw the ball. And I'm like, you have lost your mind. You've lost your mind. He's eight years old. He's crying on the pitcher's mound. Here comes our coach helping this kid. So we send this email of just way to be, way to be, you know. And it was incredible to see what the coach's response was. And you can see that God is at work. God is at work. And so whether you're in a bee's nest of PTO moms, whether you're on a, a baseball field, whatever it is that God has placed you in the midst of, you are there for a reason, and it is not too minute to pray about. It is not. And Jesus is saying that to these people. 
He's saying it to his disciples. He's like, we're going together and you're going to grow and this has nothing to do with you. You're going to grow because you're going to watch me in action. Boy, be like that. Don't be the crazy mom. I've had to sit on my hands a few times because I can get a little crazy on the team too. I have to just relax. But it's like, Lord, nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. All right. So now they're trekking on. They're headed to Lazarus. And he says, Lazarus has died. I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad that I wasn't there on time in your mind because I want you to see this so that you're going to believe. So let's go to him. In verse 16, it says, So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. They've already summed it up. They're like, not only is Lazarus dead, so this is a wasted trip, but the people in Judea wanted to stone you anyway, and so you're going to die. So we might as well go with you, Jesus. We'll just die with you. We'll be the martyrs. Isn't that great? I've done that too. Lord, this thing is going to shipwreck, but I'll go down with you, Lord. And he's like, you don't even have a fat clue what I'm doing. You do not even have a clue. But I love you anyway. I love you. Okay, verse 17 says, So when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now this is really important that it says four days. Because tradition and mindset in this day and age was, if somebody was dead just three days and they somehow came back to life, that wasn't a big miracle. That you could have prayed that or you could have somehow anointed them with something or witchcraft could have been involved. But... Somehow, three, day was, three days was not going to be that miraculous. So Jesus, in his perfect timing, waits a fourth day so that everyone around knows that no man could have ever done this. Do you see that? There are things in your life, your marriage, your work situation, your singleness, your family tension, your children, there are things that seem like they've been in the tomb for four days. And it ain't coming back to life. And Jesus is saying, exactly, exactly. Because I'm going to raise it back up and you're going to know it was me. You're going to know it was me. There are some of us in this room that are ailing with health issues, that are struggling with relationship issues, that feel like we are, that's the lot. You feel like Thomas the twin. You're like, well, I'll just go with him. He's going to die here. This is my lot in life. And Jesus is saying, you just watch. You just watch. You just watch. And some of us feel like a relationship is dead. And, and God is saying, yeah, that friendship needed to end a long time ago. I'm trying to do something new. So come on and walk with me. And I'm going to bring new life in other places. So the key is, is you cling to Jesus. And as you do, and as you walk, you'll begin to see clearly because that's what happens to them. So he's been, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Verse 18, it says, Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha, now watch Martha's response, and we're going to see Mary's response. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. How do you think she said that? What do you think her tone was? Huh? I think she's, I think she's angry. I think she's disillusioned. I think she's frustrated. I think she's just like me. Lord, 
If you'd been here, this would not have happened. In other words, how could you have let this happen? You who claim to be a good God, how could a good God allow this to happen? We've all asked that question. Don't be judging Martha. All right, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she runs out, Lord, if he'd been here, this would not, my brother would not have died. But watch what she says in verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Now, he's saying it the third time. He's saying what his intentions are. The third time, we still don't get it. Martha says, well, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection and on the last day. So what is she giving him? She's giving him the Sunday school answer. She knows enough knowledge in her head because she's heard him teaching in the other room. Do you remember that? From week one, do you remember that? She's in the kitchen preparing the meal and she can hear kind of what's going on, but she's not connected to him. Y'all, that is such a um, perfect picture of so many of our lives spiritually is that we've been in the church house all of our lives. We've been in this room. We've been around him, and we've learned a lot about him, and that's so different than being connected to him. Jesus has said in the last days, many of you are going to do miraculous things in my name, and yet I'm still going to say to you, I don't know you. I don't know you. That is a scary truth. So Martha is saying, okay, but I know you can raise him up in the last day. I know that you're the resurrection of life. And she's like throwing out everything she can think of because she wants him to work on her behalf. I totally understand that, Martha. We do not judge you. And Mar um, Jesus says, I'm the, I am. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. She gives a Sunday school answer. Uh, you're the resurrection. I know he was going to rise on the last day. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in, in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Again, she's got the truth. She's got the knowledge. But I don't, I don't see her as a woman full of peace. Do you see that? She's got the knowledge. I know who you are. I know you're the... Okay. My kids can say that. Scripture says even demons shudder at the name of Christ. They even believe in Him, okay? And so knowledge does not save you. Belief and faith is what saves you. Our faith, when He says, do you believe this? He's saying, do you believe me? Do you believe in me? Do you believe in me? Very different. Man, I can, Jason standing here, you guys, he's not here now, but Many of you saw my husband. I can tell you all about him. I can tell you what he loves to eat. I can tell you what he doesn't love to eat. I can tell you what his sleep patterns are like. I can tell you what um, he watches on TV and what he doesn't watch on. I can tell you everything you want to know about him. But I'm telling you, we've had a week where he's been working late. I've been sick, and I'm like, I'm not connected to that man. We are like this this week, and that's going to change. That's going to change tonight. But do, do y'all know what I do y'all know what I'm talking about? But do you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying though. It's like I know about you, but but it's so different than when our hearts are connected to one another. Right? Okay? So Martha can tell Jesus, I can tell you all about you. And he's saying, I'm the resurrection life. Do you believe this, Martha? Come to me. Okay? And um 
So Jesus, so then in verse 28, we move on and it says, when she had said this, she went, Martha then goes and gets her sister Mary. And I just wonder if Martha was like, let's see if Mary can talk some sense into him and see if you can get him to help us. Mary, come on out here. I don't, I don't know, but I imagine. I just have her all personalityed up in my head. But it says, when she had said this, she went and she called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and calling for you. I want him to call for me. In 29, it says, when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, they were consoling her. When they saw Mary rise to quickly go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, what did she do? She fell at his feet and she said to him, what did she say? Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. What did Martha say? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What was Martha's posture? Yeah. What was her physical posture? She was, she was standing. As far as we can tell, we, we, Scripture doesn't indicate that she was doing anything other than staying standing and saying, Lord, Lord. How many times have you approached the Lord like that? Lord! If you had been here, very different response from Mary. Mary falls at his feet, grieving like she should, asking, confused, bewildered like we all are. And she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Here is the thing. Faith does not mean you don't have doubts. The opposite of faith is not, um, well, never mind, I don't want to go there. But here's what I'm saying to you, is that David, you look throughout Scripture, you look at all of the men and women through Scripture, and the ones, even in Hebrews, they call it the Hall of Faith, when it just lists name after name after name after name of men and women that clung to Jesus in the midst of difficult circumstances, and every single one of them said, Lord, where are you? Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Lord, how could you have allowed this? Lord, help. Lord, why? And so God is not looking for you to um, erase all of your questions and come to Him with this uh, manufactured smile and pull yourself up from your bootstraps and pretend like it's all okay when it's not. No, He's not asking any of us to do that. He didn't do that. You watch him in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he went to the cross and he was so stressed out that he sweat drops of blood. And he said, Lord, take this from me. I don't want to go through this, but nevertheless, I'm going to trust you to the very end. Mary is communicating this. She falls at his feet, which communicates a posture of trust and worship and reverence. Ask the questions, but maintain a soft heart toward him. And the only way that we can do that is if we're connected to Him. Right? If you're married, like I am, and you're in a relationship, or maybe you have a best friend, and you go for a period of time not really having a heart-to-heart -heart conversation and not being connected, all of a sudden, um, resentment begins to creep into your heart. You begin to second-guess their motives for you. You think, well, he just doesn't care. He's all about His world. Whatever it is starts to happen. Same thing happens with the Lord. Same thing happens in your relationship with the Lord. 
as you um, kind of be bopped down through life and you avoid those times of sitting at his feet and, and they take, um, it's not natural to sit at his feet. It takes um, work at times. It takes diligence. It takes patience to sit and to engage with him. But Mary did that and it was necessary for her because this day was coming with Lazarus and she didn't lose her faith. It did not derail her. We all will go through seasons of Lazarus moments when the thing that we love and long for feels dead. When it feels hopeless, when it feels tragic, when it feels sudden, if it's the loss of a dream, if it's the loss of a loved one, whatever it is, those days are coming if they've not come yet. And if you've not done the time with Him, you will be like Martha. And you will be, Lord, where were you? I can say everything about you, but my heart is so far from you. I long for you and I long for me not to go through experiences like that. I can tell you I've walked with the Lord for 20 plus years and I've done enough time with Him that I hope this is true for the rest of my life. I don't question His character anymore. I don't say, um, I don't go through that crisis of faith of going, Lord, I don't know if you're trustworthy. And, and I'm not saying that harder crises won't come and I won't have, I, I'm not, I'm not perfect, but I'm just saying I've been through really painful, difficult things, as have you. But I've done the time with him, and I've tasted, and I've ingested him in a way that I just know he's good. I just know that he's good. And so when I'm on my face and I'm crying, I take it all to him. I don't dress it up. But I get back in front of him and then it's like a drink of water and I go, oh, you are good. And watch what happens to Mary because she laid at his feet. She said, Lord, come and see. He says, then Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her were also weeping. And Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Have you ever been in a crisis situation of pain and you've experienced the Lord's presence in a way where you go, He is with me in this. He is weeping with, him, with me. This hurts His heart too. There is nothing sweeter, nothing sweeter than to taste and see that He's good in that way and go, He's in the foxhole with me. He gets it. He sees. He loves me. He's not left me. This Stinks. This is awful. I don't have to pretend like it's good. But Lord, you're with me in it. You've not left me. You are good and you weep with me. Sweet Martha stood back and watched Mary have that experience. And Jesus wanted Martha to have the same experience. So it says in 38, Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. And it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Now Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'd be, there's going to be an odor. He's been there for four days. Is she in the natural realm or the spiritual realm? She's saying, Lord, please just stop. If you, if you do that, then this is what's going to happen. It's going to be embarrassing and atrocious. Just, just stop. She has, she's already gone down that road. She still doesn't understand what's happening. And, and I hate that for her. And I hate that for me and all the times that I've missed 
connecting to him on such a deep level that I've just stayed and just been frustrated and disillusioned and, and um, bewildered when I didn't need to be. But sit there, sit there until we, you connect with him again. So she says, he's been there for four days. Jesus said to her, <laughs> I wonder what his tone was like. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? I've told you this, Martha. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, those watching, that they may believe that you sent me. There's a greater purpose at play. There are people whose, whose lives are on the line. And God may want to do something through your life that costs you. But it will be the sake of others looking at you in heaven and going, Thank you. I'm here because of you. I'm here because I saw the Lord work in your life in a really painful season. And you allowed Him to do His work. And it taught me so much that I began to trust Him. Oh, I hope that there are men and women that will say that to me. And I hope there are for you. It's been worth it. So when they had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let them go. And let him go. And it says in 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with him, who had come with Mary, had seen what the Lord had done and they believed in him. They saw what the Lord had done and their lives were changed eternally because of it. Had Jesus come a day earlier, they probably wouldn't have believed it. But because that stench was there, because that fourth day had come, that hopeless place, and God's not some sick joy-seeking God that's going, I'm just going to make this really hard on Mary and Martha. No, 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 no. God's glory is His chief goal, and His glory is where we are most satisfied, most awed, most caught up in the story, most in love with Him, is when we see Him in the fullest way we can see Him this side of heaven. So there are times when God will allow it to get really, really hopeless, and then He'll do something that you think, I know I couldn't have done that on my own strength, and I know that would have never turned around aside from God. Lord, I trust you. You're good. I'm going to take the next step with you. Life is hard. Life is full of grief. Life is full of unexpected curveballs. Are you going to be Mary who, cl who clings to Him and experiences Him and tastes and sees that He's good? Listen, Mary had a peace when she was sitting at His feet in the kitchen, and Martha's all riled up. Mary's not even wavered by it. She's got peace in the middle of her grief. I long for that for me, and for you, and for Martha. And it comes by sitting at His feet. So we're about to take a big, long break. We will meet back again in the middle of September. And my challenge to me because summer is easy to get really dry physically and dry spiritually. But my challenge to you and to me is sit at his feet. Start once a week. Once a week for 15 minutes. And then let's move to twice a week. And then three times a week. And then let's let the goal be every day I want to sit at his feet for 15 minutes. When I started, I literally had a timer set for 10 minutes. I am not kidding you. Because I was like, what am I going to do? And I'm telling you, that timer, I just ended up throwing it away. Sit at his feet and come back as women that are refreshed in the fall. And we're going to do some great work together in September. Let me pray for you. 
Lord, I love these women. You know how much I love them. And God, I just pray for each one of us. Would you remind us and give us the courage that we need to be like Martha, Lord. I mean, Mary, Lord, help us sit at your feet, Lord. Sometimes it's hard to even know what that looks like. But would you just help us sit there? Open up the Gospels and just read about you and your interaction with people. And Lord, would you cause it to come alive to us? Lord, when we pray, would you, would you cause us to ask the right questions? And would you enable us to hear you in ways that we didn't think we could? And at the end of the day, what I'm asking for, Lord, is that you would build up our faith, that we would be women that other women would look at and go, I don't know what she has, but there's some sort of peace that I've got to have. And would you cause us to have incredible influence on those that you've placed in our path. In Jesus' name, amen. Ladies, I love you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for flexing with us. And we will see you in September.